I'm Ben Amos. Join me as we dive deep into how some of the best in business, marketing, content creation, and education wield powerful and effective stories to engage audiences and drive action. Welcome to Engage With Story. Directions are interesting in the Australian bush. You're quite likely to hear, drive down past the swamp, cross the creek, go through a white gate on the hill, turn left, travel straight ahead until you come to the Afghan tank where you turn right. (laughs) To begin, city slickers like me can find neither a swamp nor a creek. And as for the white gate on a hill, it doesn't exist. You need to be a local in order to understand that a swamp and a creek do not need water in them to be classified as such. Well, this city slicker did. And that a white gate was once white and now there's only a tiny bit of discernible white paint visible and that a hill is a rise. As to the tank, that is actually a square body of water in the ground, not a poly tank above the ground. I now ask for mud maps. Acronyms and jargon permeate the business world. I recall sitting in a corporate client's meeting and counting 37 acronyms in the first 10 minutes. I had no idea what they were talking about. Nor did, I'm sure, the new recruit in the room who kept looking at me and rolling his eyes. You need to speak in a language that others understand. Welcome to episode 35 of Engage With Story. Now those words were from a book titled Outback Wisdom from a City Slicker by Robin Pullman. And I'm stoked to say that Robin is our guest on the podcast today. But before I get into the introduction for Robin, let me explain a bit more about what you'll hear today on Engage With Story. You see, in leadership roles in life and business, which I know many of my listeners are, storytelling is such a critical tool to have in your toolkit. But personally, I still struggle with this. Even as host of Engage With Story, I find it a struggle in my writing and my speaking and, yep, podcasting too, to find stories to help better communicate my intended ideas. Now, I'm getting better at this, but there's still work to do. In fact, this desire to improve my own understanding and skill in business storytelling was the inciting incident for this podcast. But as I've now learnt from our guest today, the inspiration for your stories can come from virtually anywhere. The trick is to keep your eyes and ears open as you go about life. It's the little stories, the tiny moments that make up your life from which you can draw when a story is required in business and life. And an example of this, I took direct from Robin's book to open the show. You see, today's guest is a storyteller, a business leader, a professional speaker, and a coach and consultant working to help develop leaders and help people speak and present with impact. She's garnered over 25 years of experience in senior regional marketing positions, working throughout Europe, Middle East and Africa. And now through her brand, Creating Winning Habits, she works with others in finding their voice with a focus on leadership, communication and personal mastery. She's the author of two books, Outback Wisdom from a City Slicker, which you heard a bit of at the beginning of this show, and Habits Aren't Just for Nuns. And she's here with me today to share her wisdom on storytelling for effective leadership and communication. 
In this episode, we explore how your story, no matter how inconsequential, can make a real impact. How to motivate and inspire board executives to pay attention. Some expert tips for storytelling from the stage and the importance of storytelling with purpose. And finally, what the Native American Indians can teach us about the importance of listening. This is a great chat, so I'll delay no further and welcome Robin Pullman from Creating Winning Habits to the show. All right, so Robin, thanks for joining me on Engage With Story. You're face-to-face with me here on the Sunshine Coast, which is great to have another guest on the podcast who's local rather than all around the world. Um, And to be able to do it face-to-face means we can communicate a bit differently than we do through just audio so and we're going to talk quite a bit today about communication and particularly communicating using story in a leadership role so you know thanks for joining me Robin you're very welcome so for the listeners who haven't heard uh, you before or heard of you before I'd love for you to fill us in a bit about your story so what led you to your passion for storytelling and the work that you do today great question Actually, Ben, it was it was a memorable moment in in my corporate career way back in the eighties, when maybe many of your listeners weren't even born, that sparked my passion for storytelling. And at that time, I was director of marketing for Marriott Hotels Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and I was attending Marriott's annual international conference. I so distinctly recall at the time, Roger Dow, he was the Vice President Marketing Worldwide for Marriott. He told the following story that sits with me till today. We'd recently opened the Vienna Marriott Hotel. So Vienna was, you know, that was the hot hotel and hot topic. And Roger told a story about walking along the street in Vienna, which is renowned for its cakes. If any of your listeners out there have tried Saka Tort, it is just stunning. And so Roger told this story. He walked along the street in Vienna and he saw a cake shop and there was a sign in the window and it said, best cake shop in Vienna. He thought, hmm, must go back there and buy a piece of cake after my walk. And he kept walking further and he came across another cake shop and the sign in the window said, best cake shop in Austria. He thought, well, isn't it good I didn't buy the cake in the first cake shop? He kept walking. He came across another cake shop and it said, best cake shop in Europe. Ah, so that's the cake shop I'm going to. Until finally he came across the last cake shop in the street and the sign in the window in that cake shop said, best cake shop in this street. So he walked through that door and he bought a piece of cake knowing that he was going to have the best piece of cake there. Now the purpose of that Roger being director of marketing was know your competition. Know your competition, know your product, and more importantly, as you put it out there in the marketplace, understand who your competitors are. And how relevant is that today when we talk about niche marketing? Yet that story I heard way back in the 80s and it stuck with me forevermore. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously that was a powerful story, but... um, you now work with with business leaders and organizations and entrepreneurs and people who need to communicate i guess stories them themselves and um you know what what is it about stories that that you believe helps people communicate their ideas better 
Oh, Ben, storytelling is just real. You know, it's relatable. People have been telling stories ad infinitum. You think about the American Indians and they pass on everything through stories. I love it because when I work with businesses and leaders and organisations, it's non-textbook speak. It's people identify with stories. And I always claim that people remember stories because they connect with them emotionally. And I've found over the years that we're moved to thinking differently, thinking differently through information and acting differently through inspiration. And we're inspired when our emotions are brought into play. You know, like in my role as a leadership and organisational coach, I face many exec teams in boardrooms who initially sit with their arms crossed and a look on their face saying, oh, no, not another facilitator. <laughs> yeah. What can this woman teach me? So I tell them a story. And as these blokes are all sitting there with their arms crossed, I say, guys, travel, travel out bush with me. I said, recently I was on a cattle station um, out near Kanamala. And the manager of the station said to me, oh, Robin, I'd like you to come out and meet Dave. I said, who's Dave? And Bernard, the station manager, said to me, he's our fence builder. I said, okay, good day. And I hopped in the ute and we drove out across the property and about 20K, there's a big country out there. Anyway, uh, finally, we, we drove into a paddock and there, true to form, was an old bloke building this fence. And as we drove up to Dave, Bernard called out the window and he said, hey, Dave, he said, I see you've got a new way of building those fences. He says, sure have, Bernard. Anyway, I hopped out of the ute and I went over and I shook Dave's hand and I said, G'day, Dave, I'm Robin. I said, Dave, tell me, how long have you been building fences? He said, uh, oh, about 40 years, Robin. I said, how many days a week do you work, Dave? He said, oh, should be about six. And Dave, how many hours a day do you work, I asked. He said, oh, nine hours a day, Robin. I said, Dave, so you've been building fences for 40 years, six days a week, nine hours a day, and you're still learning. He says, you always got to be learning, Robin. At that time, you should see the physiology change at the guys in the room because they just realised that if this fellow can do this 40 years, six days a week, nine hours a day, Maybe they've got something to learn as well. That's the power of a story. Of course, I can then go on and add on with the yarn. Bernard then said to David, look, Robin's running a workshop tomorrow. Would you like to join it? He said, "Uh, oh, what are you going to be talking about? Bernard said, look, just come along. It'll be worthwhile, Dave. And I went out to Dave's camp with him. You should see where this bloke's camp. So sleeps in a swag on the ground. His bath is a wheelbarrow and he cooks over a little open stove. It was a rough old camp. Anyway, Dave turned up to the workshop the next day. He had on the most beautiful pair of trousers with a knife pleat down the front, and he had a lovely R.M. Williams or R.B. Sellers shirt on, again with creases right down the arm. I said, hey, Dave, how'd you get your gear looking like that? He says, she just come out of the packet, Robin. (laughs) So again, I'm passing on to these fellows in the boardroom that even though they may not have identified with Dave because he's a fence builder, they also learned that Dave knew how to behave 
in the right situation and to change his image to be with the group. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, the power of story to, to connect ideas in ways that are relatable yeah. to people, isn't it? Yeah. That, that ability to, to take concepts or, or ideas that might otherwise be a bit kind of pie in the sky kind of things or, or you know, unrelatable or perhaps even unachievable and to bring them into a, a way that, that makes sense for the people you're trying to communicate your message to, right? Um, absolutely, Ben. And I've also found, I had four years on a cattle, I moved out bush, love of the land and a man, what a woman will do, and I moved <laughs> on to a big cattle station in far western Queensland. And for four years I studied low stress stock handling and was acutely aware and observed everything that was happening in nature and in life and in business out bush. And I came across some amazingly indisputable laws of the land and nature that I love bringing back into corporate world because if I go into boardrooms and there's a whole lot of fellows around and women, I'm, I'm not, I don't mean to be um, divisive here, men and women around and they're arguing, I can just look at them and go tell them a story about being in a cattle yard and a whole lot of angry bulls and I go guys it doesn't make sense to lock horns with an angry bull. Somebody's going to get hurt. You cannot reason with somebody who is angry or indeed drunk. And they get it. And I go, if you walked into a yard and there was a big angry snorting, snotting bull, would you lock horns with it or would you get the hell out of there? And they realise in that instance what they're doing and that somebody, be it emotionally, not necessarily physically, somebody's going to get hurt in that situation. Yeah, so it's clear to me that you seem to draw inspiration from, you know, clearly directly from your life, your experiences in Outback Australia and, and also from your experiences in the corporate world. And that, that seems to be the inspiration or the place where you draw the stories to demonstrate or to communicate whatever it is that you're aiming to communicate in that in that place. So I imagine that's a, a, a great tactic or tool to use, but I'd love to ask you when you're working with leaders and helping them understand how to use story to better communicate, um, what other, you know, tricks can they use or, or ideas or, or can you give us some, some, some help in that, some tactics maybe? You know, the very first tactic is to do exactly what I do and just to increase their awareness. Now people walk around with blinkers on, Ben. And they go home to work, work to home, 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 home to work, work to home. And not not being aware. So firstly, the big thing I would say is be really keen observers of life and take time to reflect. You know, something could happen in the office that day, something could happen on the way to work. And Kolb's got a wonderful learning model, which is you have an experience, you reflect on it, you pull the lessons out from it and you move forward differently. In, in business world, in corporate world, we don't take the time to stop and think and reflect for a start. So that's really important. And just look at what's happening in your own world. I, I'd love to take your listeners back to Vienna, if I may. May I? Let's do that, yeah. So again, back in the 80s, a long while ago, I've been around then. I 
at the time, as I said, I was director of marketing for Marriott Europe, Middle East Africa, and we just opened the hotel. And I was talking to Stefan Kochi, who was the GM at the hotel. And I was having a whinge and a bitch and a moan about the policies and procedures that Marriott had sent out from headquarters in Washington that I was asked to make work throughout Europe and the Middle East and North Africa. And, you know, they're really divergent cultures. And I said to Stefan, this is, this is ridiculous. He said, Robin, come for a walk with me. Now, back in the 80s, I was younger and he was a good-looking GM, so I said, yeah, I'd love to go for a walk, Mr. Coaching. He took me into the park in the middle of the Ringstrasse in Vienna where all the big five-star hotels were around there, and we stood in the park and he said, Robin, take a look at the top of the Marriott Hotel. And I looked at the top. He said, what do you see there? I say, I saw, I see big neon letters saying the word Marriott. He said, so do I. He said, you know, every time I get frustrated by the policies and procedures that Marriott send out, he said, I walk here into the park and I look at the top of the hotel and he said, I always read the word Marriott. He said, I never read my surname Kochi on the top of the hotel. And he said, and I'm certainly not seeing the name Pullman, Robin Pullman, on the top of the hotel either. So he said, I suggest that if you want to do things your way, and not follow Marriott's policies and procedures. He said, go out and build your own hotel and put your own name on the top. Now, subsequently, there have been a chain of hotels built called Pullman. However, I'm not the instigator <laughs> of that. And again, that was just such a powerful story. And I can take that story into business world. And I was, I was doing all the leadership training for Coles Meyer in Queensland. And I had a whole swag of um, supermarket store managers there well as i told them that story i can tell you what they were ready to go back to that hotel and get the trolley boys <laughs> and take them out of the front of the hotel and say see it says coles <laughs> and it calls you do it our way so again that was such a real story that thanks to mr kochi if, if mr kochi stefan had just said to me robin look you work for marriott you got to do it the marriott way but he didn't do it that way. He involved me, he engaged me, he took me into the park and and I've been able to, to pass that story. I've been able to pass that story on to others. I think what's really interesting about that story to me as well is that he wasn't just saying it from your perspective. He wasn't just saying, look, Robin, it's not your name up there. He was saying it from his own perspective and his own self-reflection about when I walk into the park, I look up and don't see my name up there. He recognised, you know, from his leadership role that it's it's more powerful, like, I guess, humanising himself and saying, you know, I think that too and you shouldn't think that either, you know? Oh, Ben, what a powerful observation mm. on your part because the last thing you want to do as a storyteller is be the hero. That's right. Yeah, you're not the you hero know, of your own story. You're not the hero. Yeah. If, if you can have a self-deprecating story... That is so powerful in terms of engaging people. And, and one of the premises of my work is that, you know, I haven't climbed Mount Everest and I haven't overcome seemingly impossible hurdles. And often when you talk at that level or at that degree and tell those stories, people can't relate to them at all. Yet when I teach presentation skills, again, I'll say travel back with me to 
whenever, 1979, and at that time I was working with Hyatt and I said I had to present to a board room and I did. It was all the general managers and financial controllers from throughout the region. And I said, picture this, I'm in the loo beforehand throwing up. I shook so uncontrollably through that meeting. I was so nervous. I couldn't hear a word I said. And afterwards, my body went into so much spasm that I had to have acupuncture. There weren't that many acupuncturists around in the late 70s. And I said I was taken aside at the time, and I was by the VP of Hyatt. And he said, Robin, if you don't master the art of speaking in public, he said, your career is seriously threatened. So what we hope to do with ease, we must first do with diligence. And as Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. And you may have your you may have your throw up moment or your body going into spasm moment. Most great public speakers have. Most great public speakers have. So that's also another way that I'll tell a story so that now when I am comfortable talking in front of a group, people can identify with the woman or the girl back then that certainly didn't feel that way. Yeah, I think that's really interesting and something that I have struggled with myself around storytelling and and particularly when presenting on a stage or presenting um, in front of an audience is you feel that even when you recognise, like I do, the importance of storytelling to engage an audience and to get them to, to buy into your message that you're trying to communicate to them and to relate to you, you know, we get that. But you feel that if you haven't got a great overcoming the odds story or you haven't got this kind of triumph story where you've achieved amazing things, um, you know, that blows people away and draws tears to their eyes and things like that, then often it's easy to feel you don't have stories to tell. Um, I don't know how you help people get over that idea. Um, You know, is it, do you need to have highly impactful, clever, witty, humorous stories or is, is it simpler than that? Oh, coming back to my point, Ben, and again, a great question. Coming back to my point, the more real and the more relatable the story is from my perspective and my experience of talking to groups and individuals and big audiences over the years, the greater impact it has. In fact, I have seen the very opposite where somebody, and people really have gone through, as I said before, seemingly insurmountable hurdles. You know, they've been blown up or burnt from head to toe and become human fireballs and then they fly a plane and they crash land it and become a paraplegic. And I have literally heard people in the audience say after a talk like that, oh, well, it's all right for them. If I had all those bad things happen, I'd, I'd have to overcome it as well. But, you know, me. Yeah. Or a, or a really strong, brave, powerful woman who was talking at a com- country conference. And I, warned, I actually warned the conference organisers because she was talking to women who were struggling to... Um, homeschool their kids, make smoko and help their husbands mustering in the afternoon. And it is tough out there doing all of those things. However, when this outsider came in who really had such a tragic story, 
I said, your delegates, your guests are going to go home feeling worse about themselves because they can't even deal with a couple of kids in a schoolroom and make some scones for morning tea. And that's exactly what happened. So I want your listeners to hear out there, it doesn't matter how mundane the story is. It, it really doesn't matter. And I've had my own tough times in life and I can remember saying to a group, you know, they talk about living in daytight compartments. I'm very comfortable saying that I shared with that group and I've had days in my life when I didn't, I had to set five minute goals. I had to set 10 minute goals. There's no way I could cope with the day. And I just say to myself, you know, if I could just get out of bed and clean my teeth, that's okay. So then people go, it's okay for me. And it's also vital, as I said, that stories are real. You've got to be, I don't necessarily say succinct. However, it's really important that they have a clear point. And I teach storytelling and I have a model to help people with storytelling. And they often don't know where to start. So there could be a point. It's really important to, to communicate a story in the right place, which becomes the defining moment. And often people will take you back to their childhood and where they grew up with their brothers and all this irrelevant mm. information. And then people lose the essence they lose the essence of the story. Yeah, it needs a, needs a purpose. It needs a yeah. real purpose. It needs a really clear point. It needs to be a story relevant to the audience. Not again, another mistake I made was asked to talk to accountants at tax time about life balance. <laughs> it was the most disastrous talk. It wouldn't matter what story I told them about life balance. They had just switched off from me. Yeah. And understandably so. They had every right to switch off. Yeah, it's about being relatable. Yeah. The story needs to be relatable to the audience in the context of which it's being told yeah. as well, right? And, you know, your listeners, if they're leaders out there, I say listen to your own people. I don't know how many leaders are really out and about and listen to their people. They can pull stories from their own team and coaching a partner at PwC who's people ratings were low and the, the, there might be people in your audience from PwC and, and the leaders get rated on um, clients, people being their team and firm and this guy's people ratings was really low. So I was coaching him. He said, what do I need to do? I said, take your team out, individuals out, sit down, buy them a cup of coffee and listen to them. Listen to their stories. He said, really? <laughs> I said, yeah, just go and sit with them. I don't have time. I said, make time. Make time. And he did. He listened to their stories and he listened to them as human beings and afterwards said, I learned more about leadership, Robin, in those eight coffee sessions than I did in 20 years sitting behind my desk. So leaders can also learn by listening and they can share an experience that one team member's given them with the rest of the team or maybe anonymously. But that's also really powerful. I bet you yeah, that's a story that, that 
that PwC person there is going to be telling other people about the importance of listening as well, right? So that story perpetuates into yeah. to other stories as well. And that reminds me of the Indians. And are you familiar with the concept of talking stick communication? Mm, yeah, yeah. But fill That's us in. so powerful. What's your understanding of it, Ben? Oh, you may, you may get me wrong here. I've heard of it before, but um, it's, it's the idea of... Uh, in, in Indian cultures, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the idea of uh, stories prompting other stories. So telling a story about you and, and that's relatable to you and, and then someone takes something that they grasp in your story and then tells a story about that's relatable to them. Am I right there? Um, that's Am I fantastic. Way off? You're absolutely along the right track. Fill us in. <laughs> You're on the right track. That's excellent. So what Mr. Chief Pakahunter or whatever his yeah. name would do, if he's holding the stick, he would tell the story. So he's the storyteller. He's got the stick in his hand. And only when it does pass on to another story, so you, you're right, However, he would not pass the stick on until he had garnered gained feedback from everybody in the circle that they, they fed back to him what they just heard. So often people tell a story and go, do you understand? Or they give somebody a direction and they say, do you understand? And the person says yes, and they go away and do something totally, totally removed from what the person thought they were told. So what the Indians did, because it was vital, this was the only way they set down the laws. So he would have all his chieftains come back and say, Chief Pocahontas or whatever his name is, what I just heard you say is, my understanding of it is, and only when they, the sender and the receiver, the chief and the chieftain were on the same page, could that stick be passed on? And how, I'm just going to expand on that though because I'm interested to hear from a practical standpoint as a leader telling a story in an organization how can you use that concept of ensuring the story is landed appropriately and being received appropriately by your audience I, I guess I can understand how that could work in a small group session uh, where you're sitting around with five or six people you can go around individually and get feedback directly about what you know, the feedback and, and make sure they heard the story the way it was to be heard. Um, if you're speaking to a larger group, is there some way that we can take that idea and that concept of the talking stick and help our stories land? That's a $60 million question, really. <laughs> uh, it's why speakers are paid a lot of money. Yeah. Because they know when they stand on that platform, they have a story that's crafted, it's been tried and tested we always as speakers get feedback from conference delegates if there are review forms what what was the most significant point you took away what what was the most memorable part of the talk so we know if if a story that we relayed has hit a nerve awesome so that's the real art in speaking and there, and there yeah. is an art and and again because i run a one day course speaking and presenting for impact and we do storytelling and and even under that guidance how people can take a story and just make it too elaborate or it's not self-deprecating enough or there's no clear point so it, it, it's a true art and craft and it does start with just really listening and, and testing you can tell a story and People don't laugh or their faces have just shut down, you know, that one didn't work. 
Yeah, yeah. So you wouldn't go onto the big platform with that story. You'd test it with a small group first, actually. Yeah, well, that's good advice. Yeah. In fact, I want to pick your brain a bit now to get some, some really actionable advice as we kind of wrap up the show here today because I'd love to ask you if, if there's some, you know, maybe two or three tips that you can give just as people are thinking about using stories more effectively in their communication, whether they're in a leadership role or not. Is there some, you know, can you share with us a couple of quick tips to end the show? Is this whether they're talking to a small group or a large group? Well, let's, let's imagine in a leadership um, organisation speaking to a, a group of employees, um, you know, within internal, their internal team. Excellent. I've thrown you on the spot here, haven't no, I? No, <laughs> it's, a good, it's a really good question. And it, and no, you haven't thrown me on the spot because I, this, this is what I work with. So I work with leaders to make sure that their, their message hits the mark. The first thing is that they have an absolutely clear and compelling central message. Mm. So given that we don't hear 50% of what we listen to and 50% of that we've forgotten within six hours, you need the speaker needs to be crystal clear on the take-home message to the audience, number one. And I don't know how many people who've been to conferences and they go, oh, I really like so-and-so. I said, so what message did you take from it? Oh, I don't know, I just laughed. That to me is not a successful mm. talk. Yeah. So my own performance is I'm not interested anymore in the entertainment barometer or the happiness barometer. People say, I loved your talk, and I say, what did you take away from it? First question. Secondly, come out punching. And by that, I mean don't come out and say, hi, ladies and gentlemen, it's really nice to be here today, and what I'd like to talk to you about is... Yeah, yawn. <laughs> yeah. Yawn. Come out and say, leadership is action, not position. Today you're going to walk away with five tried and tested tips to ensure you are a lasting leader. So you note in the languaging there, there's a high use of the word you versus I. You tell your audience up front why they should listen to you. Winning is a habit, so is losing. Today you're going to explore your habits and what's working well and what can work better in your life. So then you've got them. They're engaged yeah. because they know they're listening for their own reason. If you're standing on a platform, if you're talking to a small room of people, you deliver each thought to a set of eyes so that everybody in the room feels that you're engaging with them. You use pacing and pausing because if you talk at the same volume the whole time and you never put any pauses in there, people cannot possibly understand what you're saying and they just get overwhelmed. At the same time... If you're too slow, you lose them. A master of pacing and pausing was Barack Obama. Absolutely. Absolutely a master of pacing and pausing. You have limited dependence on PowerPoint. We don't want, you've heard the old expression, death, death by, by PowerPoint. PowerPoint. Don't yep. want there. Um, less is more. No superfluous words. I would be a very wealthy woman, Ben, just in closing, if I had a dollar for every time I were heard the word stuff, thing, stuff like that, probably, maybe, try. I've heard people say, I've got some really important stuff to share with you today. I'm going to try and get through it all in the time allocated. We'll probably be able to cover most of it and maybe you'll get something really good about all this from all this stuff. 
As my presentation skills coach said to me, we are paid, you are paid, Robin, for every word you speak. If you open like that, you've just wasted $300 of your fee. Very good advice. So it does amaze me, Ben, the, the dollars invested in conferences and more money spent on food than ensuring that the in-house speakers speak well. Yet that's the enduring benefit of that conference. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great advice. And anyone who is either in a situation where they're regularly called on to, to speak from the stage or to speak in front of a group or, or even leaders or, or, you know, people within management roles within, within organisations who need to communicate effectively to groups of people, I think, you know, no doubt listening to you today, we, we're all pretty clear, I think, that you are an accomplished speaker and a great storyteller. We've, we've got that experience through the podcast today, but also I think we've, we've got some great takeaway information to make us better speakers and better communicators as well. So thank you, Robin. Thank you for your time. You're very, very welcome. And uh, how can people, if they're interested in joining one of your programs, learning more from you, or just exploring what you have to offer around the services you provide, how can they get in touch or find out more about you? That's a great question, Ben. I'm glad you asked that. Uh, quite simply, my, my domain, my website's Robin, robin.com.au. R-O-B-Y-N. And that's being revamped at the moment, so I get everybody out there, so that's a work in progress. It's there and it's currently being upgraded. You can email me at robin at robin.com.au or you can call me. You can call me and my telephone number's all over my website. And I close with this because I'd love to hear from you. I'd love you to pick up the phone, call me and for me to chat rather than all this toing and froing. My conclusion, long story short, the more high-tech the world becomes, the more important it's high-touch. And on that note, thank you again, Rowan, and uh, we'll get in touch with you soon. Thank you. Thanks again to Robin for sharing her stories, her insight, and her inspiration in this episode. I encourage you to take Robin's invitation there, and please do reach out to her directly to learn more about how she can help you and your team. All the links and ways to get in touch with Robin, of course, can be found on the show notes over at engagevideomarketing.com slash episode 35. Or her website again is very simple to find, robin.com.au. That's R-O-B-Y-N. So did you enjoy the show? Please let me know. Always loving the feedback I get from listeners like you. And if you haven't left a review on iTunes, go on jump over there now and leave your thoughts. I really appreciate it. To make it easy for you, just go to engagevideomarketing.com slash iTunes and you'll get to the iTunes page really quick. So until next week, where I'll be back to share some more about the power of storytelling to move people to take action, I'm Ben Amos from Engage Video Marketing and here's your little bit of story quote inspiration to leave out the show. This one by a guy called Bob Dickman. He's an author and executive coach, and he says, if you don't feel it, you won't remember it. All right, catch you next time.